Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand you remember as a young girl having an impact on you growing up in Oakland? Because my dad worked there, but it was it was a Doton Pontiac and he sold cars there. So I would go there on the weekends, but it was a car dealership just because I would see it and they would have little ads and it was part of the Oakland community. <laughs> and what kind of restaurant did he have at, at one point? He had a soul food restaurant, but it was more than that. It truly was a meeting space. This is why we're having the conversation with Cocos because around food, do you know that, you know, uh, movements were created, strategies were set, stories were shared, and Ebony was part of that, right? It was on the Sunday table. And they would pass it around for people to look at. So my dad on one of the, he would be so proud of this moment. He would be like, okay, yo, my daughter really is doing something. She's working for Ebony. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today in the CMO podcast is Michelle G., the CEO of Ebony and Jet, the iconic black magazines that were launched by Chicago publisher John H. Johnson about 75 years ago. Ebony and Jet are now owned by former NBA player Junior Bridgman and his family, and Michelle's remit as CEO is to lead the resurgence of these two famous brands. I first met Michelle when I was at P&G. Over the past 20 years, she has been an executive with the Weather Channel, A&E Television, CNN, BET, and William Morris Endeavor. Michelle was born and raised in Oakland, California. She is a highly awarded leader, the author of three books, a self-described proud wife and mother of two children, and about her current job as CEO of Ebony and Jet, she says, I believe I am truly now walking in my purpose. This is my conversation with Michelle G. Welcome, Michelle, to the CMO Podcast. And I have to start, do you remember when we last saw each other? I, I don't remember when we last saw each other. Was it in Cannes? You know, it might have been. I'm thinking the ANA. Maybe. It was someplace good and it was someplace crowded and it was someplace all about this business. I know that. <laughs> Do you miss those big, you know, tent pole industry events? Yes, no? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, I was talking to our uh, our new owner, uh, the Bridgman family. I was like, listen, we got to go back to Cannes when that thing is live because we're showing up as Ebony now. And before I went uh, as another company, I didn't have as much uh, clout, as much love as I think I'll get <laughs> as I do in this position. But listen, you know, uh, this business is small. I know my voice is needed in the room. It's still lacking so much diversity. So like, I think that they would want me to be there uh, and I actually want to go, but I'm going uh, with a different perspective, with a different mindset, with a different story. So um, I'm excited to get back in the rooms and, and tell this story. Well, let's make a date in 2022. You know, I teach a CMO program in Cannes and we've done, we've done it for like nine years. We bring CMOs together for like two days and we really try to make sense of the world and bring in amazing people to help them with that. So why don't you join us in 2022? I would love to do that. I would love to listen. That's like, that's like, I may not have gone to my prom, but to be in a room full of CMOs, I'm there to tell the story. Now you are going, you're, you are participating in Cannes this year. It's virtual this year. It's the end of June. It's for a week, but you're going to participate in something with P&G. Do I have that correct? That's very correct. So Mark Pritchard has been um, a, the, the biggest advocate and uh, and mentor to me. Matter of fact, as soon as I got the CEO title for Ebony and Jet, uh, he reached out and we um, had a conversation about how P&G uh, brand and the brands could be um, supportive, not from an impression standpoint, but from an institutional standpoint. So I appreciate him for that. So I get to, uh, an opportunity to sit on the stage with him and this Friday at Tribeca. So I get an opportunity to, to sit with PNG then. Look, I'm going on a road trip with Mark because right. <laughs> he's so authentic, right? You know him. Yeah. He, he really, he, he puts his money where his mouth is and his heart. And so he's just a gem. Yeah. I'm very proud of him and the company. So proud. 
you are, I have to start with saying congratulations. You're in a new role, a fabulous role since I last saw you. And we're, we're going to get into that in a minute. But I first want to start with getting you talking about CMOs and senior marketers, because in your career, you've worked with many of the great leaders, great companies, great brands, and certainly Mark and P&G are toward the top of that list, if not at the top of that list. So I want to start with, could you share with our listeners what you feel are the characteristics of a great marketing CMO today? Yeah, you know what? And, and I'm just going to say that I think I'm a great marketer. I like I don't have the X's and O's that a CMO have, but I've had an opportunity to try and get in the door to speak with them. I've sat in front of some of the great ones. I just had a, a great conversation with Deborah Wall from GM. And so these are the characteristics that I think that they must have. Right. Of course, they must be creative. Um, they must be uh, inquisitive and curious, uh, but they also have to be open. And they also have to be willing to take risks. They can't be so tied to uh, the numbers and where things are going. They also have to have a fundamental understanding of where people are, how they move and breathe. You can't group people together. So they also have to be educated about difference and different things. And if you put all those together and you bring the humanistic side, the, the, um, the empathetic side, I think you have a great marketer, right? I think those are some of the things that that are really really crucial especially today and and to be honest i don't know if i don't know if many of those exist but it's a great job description isn't it who wouldn't want to aspire to that <laughs> right so talk a little bit more about i mean i love that talk about what you'd like to see more of from our senior people today this is the thing right like you're impacting so much you have teams of course you've reached to this level and I remember reading this case study about Campbell's Soup Company and the, 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 the president at the time, right, the founder, he would walk around and he had this servant leadership mentality. You can't get so big that you're not connected to the people because how are you telling a story for your company if you don't understand what people need, where they are, what's happening in the world? And so don't be led by your title. Don't be led that you finally made it. Be led that you have an opportunity to actually do something amazing oh. for your company. And that's open up the door for other conversations. Michelle, when you think about the most productive and trusting and creative relationships you've had in your wonderful career, could, could you describe what that is like? Oh, you're doing trust. That's a big one. It that's is a big one, especially related to clients. You know, building trust with clients and CMOs, it's tricky. It doesn't happen enough, but I want you to describe what that feels like, looks like, sounds like. Well, well, this is the thing. I think it, it goes beyond just that relationship is anytime there is a, you hire somebody or you work for somebody or you're partnering with somebody. Oftentimes I found that difference is hired because they right, want um, your perspective. And then they ask you to check it at the door because it doesn't feel comfortable because it doesn't really fit in because they want you to get along with everybody. And so it's the same thing with partnerships. People hire you to do something great. I built BET Her. Amazing. I'm the CEO of Ebony. Amazing. I'm going to tell the most amazing story. I've hired people from the street that couldn't get jobs other places because they say they couldn't find talent. That's not true. I'm finding amazing talent, right? But then you want us to tell it your way. No, let me tell it my way. And then that way, it's going to be authentic. It's going to connect. People are going to want to share it because that's the game. So don't control things because you're so smart. You brought me in because I'm smart about this culture and I've lived it every day. So I would say that the best relationships allow us to do our work, do it authentically, tell the truth, push the boundaries, um, you know, press the boundaries, expand the boundaries. Like PNG says, widen the screen. If you allow me to do that, I guarantee you, I'm going to connect you to an audience and you will have a relationship with them that you couldn't create on your own. Well, let's stay there for a moment. I get this question almost every day right now, and you're way better to answer this than I am. Yeah. How do, in these times we're living in with the social change, political change, economic change, all the things that we're working through, hopefully as a society, how should brands show up? Where to take a point of view, where to have a voice, where to take initiative, 
So what do you say when you get asked that question, which I hope you're getting asked? Well, I'm, I'm getting asked, but I'm not getting asked enough, right? Because what I'm doing is I'm giving direction, I'm giving budgets, I'm giving, but we're not being brought into the process in the beginning. And so the first thing I'd say is make sure that people that are sitting at the table actually understand this perspective. So that's the first thing. You know, I always go back to H&M. I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on them, but who let a little black boy wear a monkey on his shirt and say that he was king of the jungle? Like how many hands did that pass through? How many people approve that this is so amazing? It's like, clearly, there because I would have been like, you're not putting a little monkey on my son. Like my son is king of the jungle, but he don't look like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, so you, the first thing is this, you have to have people sitting at the table and we know that there is a problem. I just looked at a number. I'm not picking on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. I have 12,000 followers on LinkedIn. I get the biggest thing, but you say you reach 430 million users. You have 1% a black employee population and you're trying to market to this so they can't be in every room. So the first thing is this, please have an authentic voice in the room. If you're not, bring in an agency or someone or a brand that's going to, and listen, listen to them and bring them in early enough in the pipeline that they can actually impact the outcome. So those are the type of conversations I'm having. So I'm asking the questions like, you know, you want to say you want to give money away, but are you actually changing their business? Because are you giving them the tools? Are you mentoring? Are you allowing them to see the process? Or are you just giving them a check? I see all this money floating around, but nobody's business is changing. And to me, that's a fundamental problem. So get down to the root problem, be invested, uh, be curious, want to follow the process through the end and bring in experts to help you do that. Can you speak about a client right now or a brand or a team that is bringing you at the right place and having the right kind of conversations? I mean, I hate to just, you know, I got, you know what I'm going to say, but PNG, I love PNG so much because I've worked with them over my 20 some odd year career. Sure have, yep. And they've always showed up. They've always listened. They have the people they're trying to reach on their teams, leading their team from Stephanie to Marco, to Omar, to Damon, to Andrea, right? To, to Mark, right? So they, they he's putting his money where his mouth is. He has people that are diverse, that are leading teams, leading conversations, and they're allowing Ebony to do their thing. So they're a huge partner of ours. They're partnering around Power 100, Power Talks, and this whole notion of creative. So we're together going to go out and give new creatives a platform to tell their story. To me, that's changing the narrative. That's how you partner. That's how you bring something different to the marketplace in a meaningful way. They're not all over the place. We're very specific about what we're trying to do together. And they're giving me the opportunity to do that through funding me and not asking me to show them the amount of impressions I'm delivering. Because I know that's that's the game, right? You, chant, you, you, you want to buy impressions, but you know I don't have enough to get the money I need in order to grow. So they're not asking, they're not, they're not playing that game. They're institutionally investing in our company, Ebony and Jet. And I so respect them for that. This is a PG Love Fest. I'm loving it. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Now, I want to switch off P&G and talk about CMOs to talk about your incredible career in life. You've worked at several famous media and creative companies. You have a cabinet full of awards. You've written books. You're a keynote speaker. You're a mom and a wife. And it all began in Oakland, California. And it was, and it was not linear. <laughs> it was not. It was not. So I want to start with a big question. How and when did you begin to discover your potential? Oh man. Ooh, it was, I was, oh, I was in my thirties. You know, I'm still discovering. Right. Uh, but I will say this, I fell in love with the media business and this is, I don't think I've ever even told anybody this story, but my dad was part of this community called Soul Beat Television. 
And it was launched in Oakland. It was a small mom and pop place. My dad used to bring food because he owned a small restaurant. And then I would go to the set and I would see them tell black stories. And I was like, man, one day I'm going to own a television network. I'm going to like, I would say that. And then I got into the business like, I absolutely do not want to own a television network, but I want to be able to impact what people see, the stories that are told. And I do believe I have the same sentiment as John H. Johnson, right? He put the first black folks on the cover of a magazine in 1945. And I wanted to to be able to do that. So to have this connection now is, is truly amazing. But yes, my roots started in Oakland. I started in telecom, but I asked the question, I was like, first of all, who makes a lot of money? which was television, right? Television sales, but also who really impacts the world and, and impressions like and, and can tell a true narrative and change people's perception. And I thought that was television also. Who along the way helped you most discover your potential and to see that you wanted to be in media and then get on in that career and thrive? Who was the mentor, the accelerator who had the biggest impact? Oh man, who had the biggest impact in my career? I mean, so many people helped me along the way. Um, I'll say this, you know, I got my got my start from the Walter Cates Foundation. I don't know, are you familiar with the Walter Cates Foundation? Say more for our listeners. Okay, so the Walter Cates Foundation at the time was a foundation that found uh, employees that were not in the business, but had a certain skill set and then transfer them over by giving them skill sets, right? So I was in the last class of the Walter Cates Foundation. I got hired by the Weather Channel. Funny story, got to tell you this. I had a job offer from VH1. I had a job offer from the Weather Channel through this program. I was like, oh, I want a VH1, yes. And then a good friend of mine said, don't do that. And I was like, what? And he went to Harvard twice. I was like, oh, he has to be. <laughs> and so he's like, no, you got to go to the Weather Channel because you'll be a big fish. People will remember you because they'll be like, you work for whom? And they'll remember that you won't get lost. You'll have, it was like literally some of the best advice I ever received coming into the business because it was people like you work for the weather channel and people remember I began to build my name. So that's one organization. So now what they do is they fund other organizations that help people come and diversify the business. So it's an amazing organization. Um, David Porter runs that organization, love Walter Cates foundation. Then I got into NAMIC, another amazing um, organization, national, Association of Multi-Ethnicity in Communications, sat on the board of that. So there are organizations that exist that can help you along your way. And then, of course, there are just some folks along the way. Bozema St. John helped me in my career. Mm -hmm. You know, She hired me. She mentored me. I asked her to post my new cover for Ebony today. She's like, I got you. I'm connecting. Um, Lucinda Martinez at HBO helped me, mentored me, encouraged me. So there are just so many um, people. I'll say this. There is an underground railroad network of black women in this business that really want you to succeed. They didn't buy into the fact that there's only room for one because that's what they would want you to believe. And that's why I'm so committed to making sure that I hire other people that look like me, that I want people to be the next CEO. I'm not intimidated by anybody. Like there's room enough for all of us, including other black owned media people. Like there's room for us too. They're not my competition. <laughs> So you, when you go back to when you graduated from college, which you did a little bit later than most, and you went to Golden Gate University, what was your dream then? Did you, did you feel like you wanted to be in media because of your dad and his, and, you know, his influence, or was it something else? Well, not, not, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, to tell you the truth. I yeah, no me too. I did, right? And at 31, I graduated late. Um, I did well. And I did make a promise to my dad on his deathbed that I'd make him proud of me. So at least I began to focus and to pay attention and to, to, to really um, understand that I needed to work. Like I needed to do something, needed to, needed to continue his legacy. And his legacy really was giving back to the community. He was never a rich man from a monetary standpoint, but he was rich from all that he contributed to the Oakland community. And so at that time, I was just like, okay, let me get a great job. So I started working for the telecom company. It was a decent job. It was a decent earning. And then when I got there, um, you know, I say God has just put things and people in my path the whole way. And the CFO at the time, he's like, I know that you're not a tax manager. Like there is not possible. Because <laughs> what was the clue? <laughs> right. He's like, that's the biggest waste of talent I've ever seen. He goes, you got to be on the sales team. He's like, so I'm going to set up three interviews. You got to get the job. So really quickly, I interviewed with a couple of people. I was like, uh, but then I interviewed with this woman, Kelly D'Angelo. And I, I'll never forget her. One of the best bosses I've ever had. 
And I'm sitting in her office and I really wanted this job. Now, remember, you, you, you know, to go to sales, you're going to take a, a, a hit in your pay. Right. So I was going to take like a twenty thousand dollar hit my pay, but I can make it up in commission. So I'm sitting there. Her zipper is down. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, do I tell her her zipper is down? Oh my. So I was like, I got I can't, I'm from I'm from the town. I got to do it. I was like, Kelly, listen, I mean, I get the job, but I can't have you go all day with your zipper down like this. She's like. Oh my God, Michelle, I've been in 10 meetings this morning. No one told me my zipper was down. And, she, and that was one of the reasons why she gave me the job because I told her the truth. So, you know, I started in that career and then I just, the CFO met me. He's like, you, you know, you got to be in sales, got into sales. And then the rest is history because once you can sell one product, I want everyone to hear this. You can sell any product. It's the same approach, same research, the same relationship building is nothing changes. Now, in this amazing career you've had, and we're going to talk about Ebony and Jet in a moment, what, it, looks, it looks all great, wonderful. You move from great company to great company, more senior, do amazing things. As you reflect on it, what was the toughest part of it? Where, what was the most challenging time in your career? And how did you get through that? You know, I really think the most challenging time in my career, and I talk about this frequently, um, I, you know, I spent 12 years with three companies with the same exact job title. And the business was so frustrating because I exceeded every single goal. I did what I was told, relationships. I built businesses and I could not get ahead. And I honestly believe this culture in an organization is set by your by your direct manager. So most of the people I had relationships with were at the very top of the company. I could do that well, but my manager was blocking my ability to grow didn't want to promote me, wasn't comfortable with my existence, um, you know, didn't care, like there's only room for one. So there was this whole thing going on. And I'm like, I, I had to get out, out of line from allowing a person who didn't value my presence in a company to have the final say. And so that was really a really challenging time for me because I'm like, I'm way too talented to spend 12 years in, a, in an account manager job when I'm building million dollar businesses for people. And so people want you and companies want you to bring your whole self. They want you to be innovative and give, but then you're not giving back to certain communities when they deliver for you. So that was a really painful time. But what it did was it put me on a path to where I am today. And there is no stopping me because I just, I, I recognize what that, that is. Now, let me just say this. If I had gotten angry, right? Then I would have been the angry black person in the industry and don't hire her. And so anybody hearing this, anybody that's different, anybody that's a woman and they want to label you emotional, don't give it to them. Don't give them an opportunity to put you in a box. And so I had to suck that up and I had to still continue to deliver until I walked out of every single door that I walked out of until I walked to where I was supposed to be. And I'm in my purpose today. And on top of that, I'm sure your clients loved you all along. So that even makes it more dramatic, right? They love me. And guess what I started doing? I started taking those notes and putting them in. They love Michelle files. So when it was time for me to have bigger conversations, I'm like, look who I bring with me. So a lot of times we don't aggregate that narrative in a place where we can use it at our disposal later. And so that's one of the things that I encourage the younger generation to do is not only keep those relationships, but literally keep them in writing so you can use them when you need to. Michelle, let's talk about the CEO of Ebony and Jet, you've been in that job for six months and you've been very clear that this is a total reimagining of these two storied brands. And what a time in history to be doing that. So I want you to tell us how this opportunity arose, why you said yes, and what your husband and kids said about it at the time. Oh, I can't wait to tell the last part. <laughs> So, you know, most people know February 27th of 2020, um, I was, I was, uh, my, my job was eliminated. I mean, that's a nice way of saying you're, you're fired anyway, whatever. Uh, so my job was eliminated and it just really wasn't a good fit where I was. Um, I don't believe that I was being used. I believe I had to check my culture at the door. My voice was not valued. My office didn't dictate my status. I mean, you know, when you're in certain businesses, all those little things, so I'm just paying attention. So I was like, okay, fine, whatever. And, and it's so funny because if anybody listens to this, the first thing I thought about is like, what are people going to think of me? Which is so sick. It's like, we're, we're so tied to our jobs and our titles yep. and 
and social media. And I, I'm like, oh man, Michelle, like you really need a reset because like you're bigger than any job title, like all the things and that you've done for people and right, your, your humanistic side. Uh, then I got COVID. So then I was like, okay. Then I had to have a conversation with my maker. I'm like, God, are you serious right now? Like I already, I already don't have a job and I have COVID. What in the world? But it gave me an opportunity to sit down, to reevaluate, and I did that. Um, and I took some time and everybody needs to do that. And I started this little thing called the chalkboard series. And I wrote down all the things I wanted to do. So I wanted to take a diversity and inclusion class. So I did that uh, at Cornell, uh, graduated uh, or got my certificate in um, diversity and inclusion. So proud of that. Started my chalkboard series. And then uh, on, I think it was July 18th, I have all the text messages to go back, but I think on July 18th, I got a text message from a woman by the name of Eden Bridgman, and she used the Underground Black Woman Network. She's like, if you could hire anybody to run your Black-owned media company, who would it be? And they're like, man, you need to get in touch with Michelle G. And so she reached out, and you know, the Bridgman family flies so far under the radar, I actually had to Google Eden. I was like, who is Eden Bridgman? And um, it's like, oh, she's part of the Bridgman family, and they like, 800 billionaires. And I was like, oh man, like, okay, yeah, I definitely want to speak to her. And when we talked, we really just talked about servant leadership. We talked about legacy. We talked about what this community deserves because at the time we didn't know what we were going to acquire, but we knew we wanted to acquire something. And I knew that I wanted to go on this journey with them. I felt like every Thing that I had been through, every book I had written, every stage I stood on was preparing me for this moment to be attached to this family who are also, you know, God-fearing, faithful servant leaders. And so, you know, we started that process in July. We didn't finish the um, acquisition until January 18th, by the way, Martin Luther King's birthday, mm. divine order. And then I was installed on January 19th, which is John Johnson's birthday, divine order. You can't even make this up. like Destiny. It is. It's just destiny. And so here we are today. And what about your, your husband and your kids? What did they say? What was their counsel throughout all this? <laughs> so there was another job opportunity. I'm not going to say what it was, but it's like a really cool, hip uh, tech company. And my daughter's like, mommy, you're going to have way more clout if you work for that other company. I was like, oh my gosh, my kids really don't understand like the legacy. And so now she's like, mommy, I was so wrong. Like, this is a great job for you. Um, because when you're getting calls from like the world, uh, the NBA, the record mm -hmm. companies, the White House, this and that, because they have an understanding of what this brand should and could be. Um, it's a meaningful thing. And my husband just got uh, promoted to a managing director of Bank of America. So he's doing his thing. So it's like, a, it's an amazing story of about, a, you know, a black family that is doing well. And I just don't see enough of this story being told. There are amazing black families that are thriving and, and doing good in the world and, you know, and living their best lives and loving up on one another. So it's just, it's an amazing story. And, and my family's living that story. And I want to share that and share other people's families that are doing the same thing. So what's your first six months been like as CEO? Hell, hell, <laughs> hell, hell, There's hell, the headline. Hell. Hell, I had time to put my makeup on for you today, okay? Um, it's, it's been the most amazing journey ever. Not without hiccups, not without challenges, um, but I truly work for a family that asked this question, and you got to love this. Should we partner with them or should we buy them? Should we move in this direction or should we? So it's just a different conversation than I've ever been privy to. And it's an honor to be able to understand that I have an opportunity to not only grow this brand, this digital asset, right? And build this for my community, but I also have an opportunity to grow verticals from this and create a company that is more than just a media company, but an ecosystem that Black people can partake in, can buy, buy products and services and that can create content in. And so we're, we're, we're going to do some amazing things and people are going to be like, oh, damn. So that's what six months look like. So the next six months, I won't be so tactical. I'm going to go deeper and I'm going to go wider and I'm going to really begin to build out what the future looks like. So you'll see over the next year, um, us churning out content that Ebony is supposed to churn out from our archives, from our community of creators that typically wouldn't get paid for their intellectual properties. You're going to see all of that. So when will you and your team know that this is starting to click, that it's working, this reimagining of Ebony and, and Jet, right? Different audiences, different stories. 
But how will you know it's starting to work, to click, to make the impact you want it to make, to live its purpose? Yeah, we already do. Because listen, I've hired 12 amazing Black people. Um, a lot of them were contractors someplace, so they didn't have full-time employment, which is crazy to me. Um, we've launched two digital covers. We've signed on partnerships. I just licensed the cover of Jet uh, with Emmett Till on it to, so that it can be in an amazing documentary. It's so clicking. It's so working. My pipeline is robust. Partners are calling. Um, we are telling an amazing story. I had a girlfriend of mine send me an article that was on Ebony Today about you know, um, mental illness and women and ADHD. And she's like, oh my God, Michelle, this is the best article. And I was so proud that that's helping my community because mental illness is a thing that we really don't talk about. We don't want to talk about. So uh, it's already working. And everything is not going to be defined by revenue in the first 12 months. And I have that flexibility. Of course, listen, I've been a sales professional, so I'm driving my team and our our pipeline is robust, but we're also changing lives. So if we can do both, man, we're winning. So you said when I first asked you this, it's been hell, and but it sounds like a good hell, right? But how do you, you know, six months as CEO, how how do you make decisions about what you focus on and, and where you go first? And with all the opportunity that you see, it sounds like you have the vision for this pretty well clear in your mind. How do you tackle it? How do you, how do you choose where to spend your valuable time and precious energy? And money, right? Yeah, and money, right. You know, experience, of course, helps. Uh, I was really clear when I got started where the marketplace is going. It's about reading, understanding trends, what's happening, companies that are making it, where tech is going, where my people are going to get information. Um, so it's really about that. So we hired a research company to help us identify that. But we also have a CEO whisperer that um, is part of our staff, and he is guiding and directing us. Thank you, Mr. Junior Bridgman, for offering some of your team to help our team. This is a family-run um, business, right? So we have resources that maybe a lot of startups don't have, although we're a separate entity and we don't cross those lines as it relates to information and certain things. The family is the family and I'm part of their family and their family is about help making sure that this business starts. So if I bring up an idea and, and listen, you got to use your instincts and you have to use all of your experience and you have to have conversations. So it's clear to me that I know, right, impressions is wavering, a lot of fragmentation in the marketplace. We know there's so many sites popping up. If I want to be in that game, I'm, I'm in the streets fighting. I would rather be in the ring with Mayfield fighting him, taking my chances and still making $100 million. And it was one fight. And so to me, that is why I really want to double down on content. So everything that I do has that word in it. I've been around, I've been a leader long enough. I have enough experience to know I can't be all over the place and I can't be everything to everybody. But what I can do is create something that's lasting, meaningful, that I can control, that I can hire people for. So it's very clear to me, but trust me, I have a team of people that I run those things by and, and, and partners and uh, folks that we've hired to help us identify that nobody is successful by themselves, nobody. And so we have the, the best and brightest advising this team on where to go. And, and then we just pray on it and be like, God, cover this. <laughs> like, seriously, I sent out a prayer this morning. I was like, God, cover this, cover this launch, cover this cover, uh, because I know who the final CEO and CMO and creative <laughs> director, and that is him. <laughs> so tell me about how you built your team. Sounds like you have a great group of people. How did you start? What kind of people? What kind of capabilities? What kind of, you know, t tell us about how you approach that. I'm glad you asked because I just read this amazing article about the pipeline. I'm speaking to Bloomberg. Bloomberg is one of our partners. They're creating content for us around uh, financial wellness in the African-American community. And I'm speaking to their equity council tomorrow. And the conversation is about pipeline. And so what happens is the pipeline breaks down when there's not a referral system. And so when I read this article months ago, I was like, OK, let me go to my people. I know a lot of them. If you could hire anybody, who would it be? We don't use referrals enough because we didn't hire people. We don't have relationships with the people we want to buy. Right. So that is a bottleneck in most corporations. Pipeline is not in ours. 
So word of mouth to me is good enough. If you, somebody I value recommend somebody, I don't even need to do a background check on that person because I know. And so we hired our creative director based on word of mouth, referral, people that we talk to. We hired our creative director because our, this person, and then that person hired that person and salespeople we brought because they were part of the infrastructure before and knew it better than anybody. So they were handpicked based on what we need to get done, based on word of mouth, based on their reputation, based on trust. And I believe that's how you hire any company. And because we're small and because we're a community that is a trusted family, it's easy to source really good people. And we're still looking for some great people. So we're going to have a call to action to find the rest. And now on our new website that launched today, if you want to work for the company, you can actually give us your information and we will reach out if we deem that to be appropriate. So we talked about P&G as a strong partner. Who else has been you know, an advisor to you and a partner in this journey of reimagining these two great brands? Well, let me tell you who I hope will be, mm-hmm. right? So we have had really strong and valuable conversations with Coke. We've had really strong conversations with GM. We've had really strong uh, conversations with IPG, the entire agency, sure. um, and their family of folks. Uh, and so, uh, and then we've had a couple really co- strong conversations with Amazon, really, really strong conversations with Facebook, um, medium warm conversations with Google. And then there's a whole pipeline of other things, but those are some folks that I believe that we can do partnerships that are outside of the ordinary, that aren't just about buying a banner or, you know, a, 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 a pre-roll unit, but it's really about changing the community. So the way that I looked at it is this, I wanted to go to the marketplace with partners that wanted to do something specific, Coke and small businesses around food and entertainment, right? Facebook around uh, creatives and small businesses and women-owned businesses. So we were very specific about the way we wanted to help our business grow and how we could help them reach those people that they need to reach so their businesses can be sustained. Great conversation with JP Morgan Chase and their 1 million women that they're trying to reach. Great conversation with the White House. And I call it the Black White House. Like what Black people are moving policy? How does that impact Black people? And how do we bring that to life? Really great conversation with them. A conversation around the NBA and social justice and how they continue to motivate. So the conversations weren't the typical conversations I've had at any other company. And that's like, can you buy this? Can you sponsor this? Can you do this? It's like, how can we build content? How can we shine a light on people and conversations that are meaningful? This community, the money will come. Right. Right. Yeah. Now let me talk a little bit about a strategy question. There are a lot of our listeners who are working on old brands, brands with a great history, storied brands, but they've gotten a little bit dusty. They've gotten less relevant. Uh, and you are working on two brands that are 75 years old and you are totally rethinking them. So what advice would you have for those out there who are also working on brands that have lost their luster, lost their relevance, and they want to breathe new life, breathe new relevance into them? What advice would you give those people who are trying to do what you were doing, but in different categories? Yeah. What I would say is this. I think that I have been impactful because I've brought my journey to the table, right? I'll give you an example. I was talking to Olay and we're going to do something amazing around HBCU Queens and STEM, which is so necessary, right? And I, and I started the presentation with, I want you to meet Taylor and Taylor um, in the second grade, you know, a little girl, brown skinned girl in the second grade, her teacher told her she would be a great musician or dancer because she was really, but she was also a straight A student and she was also really good in math. And so um, they wouldn't put her in an advanced math class. And so my story to Olay was like, you're so necessary. And I said, Taylor now is 15 with a 4.2 and Taylor is my daughter. And so I've been fighting this fight for a long time. And what what happens is people get so worked up and I got to present this. They forget that they're human and it's a human story. And how can you think differently based on the experiences that you're bringing into the table? So if you want to win, it can't just be about work. It can't just be about dotting T's and crossing I crossing T's and dotting I's, you know what I meant? Um, It has to be about what have you lived? What have you experienced? What have you seen? What do you want to change? How are you willing to take a risk and go out? Because if you want to change your brand, it has to start with you. And they may not have wanted to do that, but that's my story. That's what I'm fighting for. And I hope that they go on this path with me. I think if more people do that, there'll be more creativity in the room. 
We talk a lot about brand purpose on this podcast, something P&G talks a lot about. Yeah. If, how do you think about and talk about the Ebony brand purpose, the Jet brand purpose? Yeah. Um, first of all, every person has to understand their brand purpose. Okay, because please don't know your company's brand purpose, your company's mission statement, but you don't have one yourselves because then you're not going to ever sound authentic or or real or right. So you got to understand. So that's the first thing I even tell my people. It's like, like, we're going to spend some time. Like, what's your 30 second elevator pitch? Because if you can't tell your story, nobody's going to believe you. So that's the first thing. So when I think about the Ebony story, I said it from the beginning. The Ebony story is my story. Mm -hmm. It's like my people are still walking the hallways of corporate America invisible. They're still checking their culture at the door. Small businesses are still not winning. 90% of Black women who are entrepreneurs could not get one dime of all of the money that was given out because they have one employee one employee. Now, I'm sure the people that were putting money together didn't even think about that, right? That I'm leaving out the biggest growing entrepreneurial segment in the world, and she's not getting any money to sustain her businesses. And so when I think about my brand, it's my story. It's our story. It's the Black story. It's history and the new coming together to continue to tell stories, to inspire the next generation, to hire people, to build businesses so that all of our families can succeed and be be happy. And, and I'm giving them a space and a place in order to do that. I'm so clear on our brand story narrative, who we're trying to be and who we're trying to bring along with us. I want to flip into the last section of this great discussion. We call it the creative brief. And you know okay. what a creative, you know what a creative brief is, right? I do. <laughs> you, you've worked on about 10,000 of them. Exactly. Because I was trying to sell them. <laughs> right. Well, this is a creative brief about you. And the first question I have for you, if I had consulted your kids before this interview, what questions would they have told me to ask? Okay, this is the first question. Why am I so loud and boisterous at athletic <laughs> events? Okay, so that's the first thing, because I got the, at the last basketball game attract me. So they're like, please ask her why she's so that's not I, That's not going to change. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Oh my God. So that they would actually, um, what would they want you to ask me? I think that was it. I think they think I'm a pretty amazing uh, mom and Uber driver. And, you know, maybe why I um, just start yelling so fast when things go wrong. Maybe that. <laughs> Who's the most inspiring person in your life? Um, well, I'm, I'm living in, I, I'm going to say this. My grandmother, and it sounds a little cliche, but lived to be 101, taught me so many lessons. Um, she never was a rich person, right? But she smiled and laughed every day. She was so grateful and happy and like just had this sense of empathy. And so when I think about the woman that I want to be, I want to be somebody like that who's happy and laughs and speaks to the receptionist, the janitor, the mailroom clerk, and the CEO. Like I understand they all have a role and purpose and they're all important. And so she instilled in me that. Um, and then, you know, of course, my family inspires me every day because they're just amazing individuals and they also have empathy and they walk with the understanding to whom much is given, much is required. So they inspire me every single day. What work in your career are you most proud of? What campaign or marketing effort or relationship are you most proud of? Well, clearly I'm most proud of this moment, mm -hmm. um, but I've done some, you know, I've done some great things from creating BET Her, the first network for Black women. You know, she deserves that, right? Um, creating CNN Advantage, the first and only multicultural business that was under the CNN roof. Greg Dalba encouraged me and allowed me to do that with Johnny Diamond, who I think he still might be there. Um, but the work that I'm doing now uh, is really meaningful. And then I'll say this, like my first book, Strategic, really was... Um, an opportunity to tell women that we give so much away to folks that haven't earned it and we don't have a strategy for our life. And so there are so many, even at a Beyonce, best story, we're at a Beyonce concert and this woman comes up to me and back to me, oh my God, you're the strategic. I read your book. It changed my life. I got rid of all those fools that were in my life. I was like, oh, that's amazing. And my daughter, she's like, yo, mommy, like, 
we're at a Beyonce concert and someone does, she's like, that's pretty cool. So, you know, like the work that I've done really was about to change people's lives, give them a roadmap, be honest. So you can learn from my mistakes. I wouldn't change anything about my life, but I would change something about everyone else's that's coming up the pipeline. So I'm really proud of that work. And then I'm only beginning at Ebony and I'm super proud of the team we've created, the work we're doing, the conversation um, that we're having in the marketplace and we're not done. We're only beginning. So when we talk next, year, I'm going to have a whole list of proud moments that I'm going to be able to tout off um, over the next 12 months. Do you have another book in your mind that you want to write? I do. Yeah. And it's going to be, you know, walking in my time, you know, I'm on this prayer call every day. It's called the Mississippi prayer call. I get on it every morning, Tuesdays and Thursdays. I lead uh, that call. And uh, my friend and I, we were walking, we did a three mile walk. And I was like, man, there has to be something about purpose, in purpose, on purpose, um, because so many people don't get an opportunity to walk in their purpose. Corporations aren't getting to walk in their purpose, right? Because they're not understanding what that is. So there will be a book. I'm going to have a monthly column um, on my platform that talks about purpose intention. uh, And I'm trying to figure out what that is. But by September, October, I will have that down. You know what I... I hear this a lot, and I don't think anyone has this totally figured out, so maybe you can help. I think people do not take the time, as you said so beautifully, to understand their own purpose, but then how that links to their company and their brand, and how that all makes for a perfect kind of soup. No, you know, there, there's not a great way to help people think that through. Some, some, peop, you know, it's, some people have it implicitly, but it's it's very powerful when you make it explicit. So maybe we can work on that. Yes. It's a good, it's a good next step. <laughs> right. All right. Now you, you have all these awards and I'm not going to list them because it would take, take an hour, but I want to know which one is the most meaningful for you. Oh, that's so tough. I'm going to say that. I mean, can I have an honorable mention? Sure. Okay, so the Wonder Woman Award is the honorable mention just because, like, I know so few Black women have stood on that stage. I know so, uh, even in the audience, there were three and they were waiting for me after I won that award. But the most important award that I've won, and I'm not considering my honorary doctorate because that wasn't an award, that was something else, uh, was my Ad Color Change Agent Award because the industry did not know who I was until Tiffany R. Warren allowed me to stand on that stage at Ad Color. And people were like, oh, who is that? Oh, she's in ad sales. And it really began a conversation around Michelle Thornton at the time, now it's Michelle G, about my work, what I was doing, who I was, how I was becoming a change agent. It opened up so many doors for me. And so when I'm putting on my Power 100 in November, 50 of the slots are going to Hollywood who people would know and great. They're doing great things. The other 50 are for people like me so that now I can give them a stage to do the same thing that Tiffany did for me. So I would have to say, not only is it the most powerful, I'm going to pay that forward. You use the words walking in your own purpose. And I've heard you talk about self-awareness and the power and, and importance of that. Could you talk about these two concepts and why they're so important for you? Well, how can you do good work? How can you do God's work? How can you do the work that's assigned to you if you're not walking in your purpose? Like it's not possible, right? Because then you're just acting. Then you're just, you know, part of a scene. You're not building your own. And so in order to walk in your purpose, you have to have self-awareness. Now, people think that's having a fundamental understanding of yourself. What it really is, is understanding everything around you, how people perceive you, what's going on. Because if you don't understand that, then you can't do anything. Listen, I don't know who said it, but culture is strategy all the time. So if you don't have a fundamental understanding of your culture, your environment, the strategy you build is not going to work. You walk in your purpose is not going to matter. So you have to have those things. Like I'm so passionate about it. I wrote it about it in my books. I talk about it all the time. So critical. What are you watching, listening to, reading these days that is interesting for you? Well, I'm reading the news every day. Okay. So that's like a whole, not only the news, Twitter, my Apple feed every single day to see what's going on. So I'll know what's what's happening. So like, I'm really committed to spending an hour a day, just digging, reading about companies, creatives, who's doing what and I'm building lists. So 
I, I normally have a book in my hand, but I'm doing that. Um, and then I reread The Alchemist lately, which is the most amazing book, right? Um, I read The Circle Maker, the most amazing book um, by Mark Batterson. And then you said, what am I reading and what else? What are you watching? Oh, what am I watching? Um, it's, it's just HDTV. I can't, I hate to say, yeah. like, I, I just, I, I really like, yeah. I think if I didn't do this, I would be decorating someone's house someplace or building a, some building someplace. It really is. Uh, yeah, I just, I love to, I love to watch those types of shows. So who would you like to hear in the CMO podcast? Who would be, who would be cool for you to listen to? Who should we ask? I don't know if she's done it, but have you had Melanie Bolden? Not yet. Yeah. So she is the president of Coca-Cola North America, but I believe she was a CMO in the past. This sister is so in tune to her path, her story, her business. Cause, and I didn't even know, I didn't even know Melanie, but when I met her, I was like, I was staring at the screen. I was like, oh, I think I'm in love. And she's like, so I was like, she's, she's the truth. Super, super, super. You got it yet. Melanie should be next. Michelle, we'll do it. We'll do it. Yes. Thank you for this. I feel energized. I have a, I have a bounce in my step. I'm going to go for a run. So no, thank you for bringing sunshine to me today. And I think to all of our listeners, it's very generous of you. And so you're, this is going to be so fun to watch what you do with this company. I can't wait. So please come to my class next summer, a year from now in Cannes and talk about what's just happened and what you've learned. Yeah, I would love to do that. Yeah, play have me as a guest. And then I will have to tell people, if you're listening, go to www.ebony.com. The new site is up today. We are excited and we are rolling. Fabulous. Michelle, say hi to Mark Pritchard and all my PNG friends. I will. All right. Thank you. That was my conversation with Michelle G. There was a lot in this one, and I loved how much she loved PNG, but there were three big takeaways for me to apply to your business and your life. And the first one is Michelle has such energy and passion and commitment for her job. She does feel it's her destiny to be in the role she's in. And I think all of us should think about how's our energy and passion for the job we have. I think what Michelle shared is here's how you perform when the job is a perfect match for you. Second takeaway, the power of knowing your purpose and being explicit about that and ensuring that that aligns with the company that you are working with and the team you are working with. So many of us don't take the time to make that explicit and to think about our career direction based on our personal purpose. Last takeaway, lots and lots of career advice in this podcast. One that really hit home for me is when your direct boss is not helping you realize your potential, maybe time to move on if that can't be fixed. Michelle talked about that amazingly and honestly, and she's right. When your direct boss is not helping you advance and helping you learn, then you need to find another way to move forward. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.